really feel like we all have so much value in our creativity because each of us was put here to make something and that's different for everybody and we're all inspired to do that in different ways and all of those ways are valid and I do think that once we can honor that value, honor that creativity, the whole game changes. You're listening to the Secrets of Six-Figure Women Entrepreneurs podcast and I'm your host Brittany Jean. I'm a six-figure entrepreneur, uh, brand photographer, and self-expert, wife, and red wine lover. I'm giving you permission right now to get cozy, grab a glass of wine, and learn from women entrepreneurs who are sharing their best-kept secrets of how you too can reach six figures and beyond in your business so you can truly live your most desired lifestyle. So I'd like to welcome Paige Ray, the founder of Paige Ray Creative, a creative studio for passionate brands seeking their own space in the world. So prior to starting her own business, she was a journalist and magazine editor for a decade and then left to start her photography business in 2014. After building her photo business to six figures, she expanded her studio to offer not just photography, but web design, copywriting services, and social media marketing. So today we're having a candid conversation about the struggles and advantages Paige has had in starting her own business and the three actionable steps you need to take to move forward in your creativity and generate six figures or more in your business. And I also forgot that she also educates creatives and how to grow their business from sales to owning their creativity and so much more. So welcome Paige. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much, Brittany, for having me. I am so excited to be on your podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to have you too. And like, I just want to say really quick that like Paige actually is so inspiring. When I was first starting my brand photography journey last year, um, I found her page and I loved her work and it has definitely inspired me to be more creative and to be more unapologetic and, um, honestly, just like just have more excitement within my brand photography. So I didn't tell you that page before we got started, but I just wanted to let you know, like you've been a huge inspiration for me. And so thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you on here. Oh my gosh. That makes my whole <laughs> week. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I had to be honest with you. Okay. So I was so excited that you, you wanted to be on the podcast. So let's do this. Like, can you share a little bit more about your story? Like, what led you to begin your business? And did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? So, you know, I did grow up, um, watching my, uh, watching my parents be entrepreneurs, but it never occurred to me that I could maybe even do the same thing. I always thought that I would be working at a, like a nine to five. And, you know, when I went to school that I, I, kind of made that decision knowing that I wanted to do something creative. I wanted to do something I enjoyed, but thinking that I needed to do it for somebody else. Um, so I chose journalism and I chose the life of a writer and an editor, but after about 10 years, um, it just was not the right fit anymore. I'm really into the long form journalism. And at the time, everybody was switching to really short form, um, get it up on, you know, everything was switching to online journalism. 
Mm-hmm. Very different than what I, that I dreamt that I would do. Um, so I really, um, I think I kind of surprised myself when I decided that I was going to start my own business and it wasn't overnight, but it actually felt pretty quickly because I, um, started taking art classes. I thought, okay, well, I'm kind of tired of this. Let's see what I do like doing. And I am terrible at painting. I'm terrible at drawing, but I, I did, I took a photo class and I was like, like, oh, I, I love this. And I'm like kind of good at it. Like, this is cool. Um, and so n- nine months later, after I signed up for my first class, I left my nine to five. Um, at the time I was still married. So it was a little bit easier to do that. And I like to note that for people, because um, I think it's important to not make it look like I just suddenly made this huge transition and everything was like roses right away, <laughs> you know? So oh, thank you. Um, well, it, uh, what I mean is, um, yeah, I just think that that kind of, I think it helps people kind of get a better perspective on like what's possible and what, what the journey really looks like. Um, but that said about a year after I left my full-time job, um, and started my business, I think I had made that first year full-time, I think I had made $9,000, but at the same time I went through a divorce. So suddenly not so rosy, not so easy. Um, I had to figure out how to make money in my business and I had to do it um, in a very timely manner. And I wouldn't say I learned quickly. It did take me a few years to figure out how to run a business, how to um, create, how to make art that people wanted to, uh, felt like there was value in. It took a long time to do that. So there were a lot of years of struggle um, from that kind of second year to about my maybe fourth or fifth year. Um, there's a lot of struggle there because I, I just didn't know. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't, I couldn't wrap my brain around sales. Um, so once I finally felt like I got somewhere with it, like I finally pulled myself out, I started to understand things. I kind of looked at it and went like, I don't want any woman or really any creative to ever feel like that, to ever have to sit in that struggle without the clarity of like, how do I move past this? Um, So that's when I kind of started the education part of everything. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Wait. So I just have to go back really quick because you said that your parents were entrepreneurs and we were just talking about how like my mom was an entrepreneur growing up. She had like a side business, a side creative business in like the event planning space. What did your parents do? I, I, I would love to know. I'm curious. Yeah. I think, I I think specific, like my dad, he just had his own law firm, but my mother um, is really who I look to a lot because she um, ran her own travel business. She owned her own, um, her own travel agency. And so when I was growing up, I got to watch her like travel all over the world, all these cool things and, um, you know, be the head of her own business. And I always just thought that was the, it's just the coolest thing that such like, (laughs) for recurrent day word, like boss energy, right? Growing up, um, growing up and watching my mom do that. It was really, it was really neat. And it was really something that I've leaned on a lot in my uh, being an entrepreneur. There are a lot of times when I call my mom to say like, I am having a rough one. (laughs) This is a hard day to run a business. And it's kind of nice to talk. She'll talk me through that in, in a lot of times. So 
Oh my gosh. That is so beautiful. Like not, not a lot of women have that. And so not a lot of people have that. So one, that's amazing that you have that amazing relationship with your mom and that you got to see, you know, your parents be entrepreneurs and two, like entrepreneurship was not a popular thing. It wasn't a, a common thing, especially within for women around that time, you know, just guessing kind of your age, yeah. but like, you know what I mean? But yeah. That, like, that is so awesome to see, like, your mom do that. And I'm sure, like, that inspires you to be like, I can make this work for myself, even in the midst of your divorce, which I want to ask you more about that because I know we've had conversation about, you know, how, you know, some people have advantages to start businesses and to grow businesses. And I've definitely had my advantages. And I just, and we, I think we really want to have a candid conversation, you know, about how, yeah, there are some advantages that people have, um, you know, even, you know, but there's also the struggles, but we do want to talk about the advantages because not a lot of people do talk about the advantages people now, especially on social media, they just kind of talk about like where they are now. They don't talk about much about how they got there. Right. Or like how they got the million dollar business, you know, or like what privileges they had to starting uh, a business that is now a six or seven figure business. And so like, let's talk about that. Let's get into it. So, you know, you went through a divorce, but you said your husband helped you um, in your business or supported you the first year you were in business. Right. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, So when we got married, we had started building our savings up and I think how long had, so okay, 2012, 2015. So I think we'd been married a couple of years when I decided to go full-time in a photo business, which truthfully, after only taking nine months of photo classes was probably really too soon. And it was not something I would have ever been able to do if I hadn't have been married to a partner who we could rely solely on their income. Not that it was like super luxurious. We, we definitely never, we never wanted for anything. Um, but it did stretch us. But what we were, what we were able to do was take our savings and buy photo equipment and invest in my business right from the start. And that's a huge advantage. I, if I hadn't have been married to an, or been married to somebody who was not willing to do that, um, I would never have been able to start my business if I had just been on my own. Um, so that was, I think a huge advantage. And I think it's really worthwhile to point that out. Um, cause I, yeah, same thing. I, I think there are a lot of people talking about how they got where they are, but fail to mention that like, you know, advantages aren't necessarily a bad thing. Like it, but I do think it's important to acknowledge them because, you know, I feel, I know that a lot of times I've looked at thought leaders and people in the industry, um, and gone, okay, they got through the struggles. They were able to do it. I should be able to do it. And then, you know, yeah. we learned later on that they had these huge advantages that helped them get past hurdles that like, I'm still stuck at. Um, and so I think it's just worthwhile to point out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And, you know, it's, I have a similar story. Like I said, you know, like I started off with my mom's camera, you know, and I started charging. And then I also had a full-time job, um, that was paying me, you know, a 50 K salary that allowed me to save, you know, I do want to say that like my husband's never put in any money to my business and like, you know, and that is something that's really awesome to say. And like, I, I, I have put in my own money, you know, I mean, it's our money. Like we're not the type of couple that's like yeah. your money, my money, you don't put finances together. Okay. No, like when we became married, we became one. So like, 
my money is your money, your money is my money. It's the same. Exactly. Uh, you know, the advantages that I did have is mm-hmm. that, yeah, like, and I think you mentioned this too, like you didn't have any student loan debt, like, and I was like very, you know, privileged to not have that have student loan debt. And, um, I was able to live at home with my parents and save so that we could buy our first home. There were sacrifices in that too. You know, like no one wants to live with your parents. Like once you're married, like that is hard. Okay. You know, I, we want to, we want to, we're bringing up this conversation because, you know, look, like I think people can make so many excuses of why they can't do something, why they can't grow their business, why they can't invest in their business. Um, and they might not be seeing that they have so many advantages right now to be able to make that first step, to take that action, to grow their business. Because even though we've had the help or we had a better socioeconomic, like foot up, we still had to make very real sacrifices. We still had to make investments. You know, I don't know about you, but I have, you know, I've never, um, I don't, I don't have anyone investing in my business. It's just me, you know, like everything that I've made in my business has gone back to my business has gone like paid me. Right. Um, but like, even if you don't have that, that socioeconomic footing, there's an opportunity for you to be resourceful. There's an opportunity for you to, um, connect and network and, you know, make certain sacrifices that can still help you get to where you need to go. So based off of that, like, tell me, like, what, what are your thoughts about all of that too? Like, you know, cause I feel like we might have some differing opinion, but at the same time, a little similar, but like, what are your thoughts about it? Oh, I, I totally agree. And I, you know, I think back on like, if I hadn't have been married, what would I have told myself that I needed to do way back in what, 2013, 2014, you know, I would have stayed at my nine to five a little longer and shoveled money into savings a little bit better, which I was terrible at. And that's why, that's why I struggled so much after the divorce. Like I didn't have anything to lean on. Um, and it was like starting from, from not just from zero, but maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit less. In the negative. <laughs> In the negative, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So I think what I would have, and this is something that I try to be very vocal about um, when I can, because what I'll see is a lot of people in Facebook groups being like, okay, this is the day I'm just going to quit my job. I hate it. I'm just going to start, start my dream. And everybody's like, yes, go for it. And I'm always the downer. That's like, first though, do you have six months to two years of savings for bills? Just, just checking. Yeah. 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 That's so real. That's so real. And I think I I agree. Like I would not have been able to leave my job if like we didn't have money saved up. And also one of the sacrifices that we had to make is that, and it wasn't even a sacrifice because we had already decided that we were going to rent rooms out in our house. But like my husband and I still are not like the married couple who just live by ourselves. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like we moved out from our parents, like with roommates to moving in with more roommates. So like we ran out homes in our, we ran out rooms in our home. And, you know, that helps us have, we pay less than half of our mortgage. So like if shit hit the fan, we'd still be okay because our biggest expense is pretty much paid for, you know? So I love hearing you talk about all of that because I find it so like to hear you talk about that. I find that inspiring and empowering. Um, and like, like there are avenues, there are ways. And like, I, I wouldn't have even 
I like, I don't even know if I ever would have thought about that. So to, to, to see, to see you talk about that, I just find it really like inspiring and, and, um, motivating. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we all got to find ways to be resourceful, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's just, that's just the thing. Like you can find a way to find the resource that you need. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about asking yourself the right questions, right. And then taking action. Mm -hmm. So tell me like, how long did it take you to make six figures? So like you, you got divorced one, one year. And then the next year, well, that one year you made 9,000. And then the <laughs> next year you kind of got on your footing. Mm-hmm. Like how long did it take you to, to get to that six figure mark? And what did you have to do to get there? Like, what were some of the things you had to do? It is such a good question. So let's see. Um, the year I got divorced, yes, I made $9,000 that year. <laughs> and it's one of those things that like, once you, um, you set a date to go to the bank and, uh, split your bank accounts. I had two months of runway and I was really feeling like, Oh my gosh, I've made $9,000 this year. What in the world? And it was a slow climb. So I think the next year after that, I made 20 and the next year after that, I made 40. Um, and I, it was not until 2019 that I hit six figures for the first time. So I think I, I think I had set a six figure goal for three years and it was year three that I finally hit it. And I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs who do that and get frustrated because they're like, I set my six figure goal this year and I didn't hit it. And they're very bummed. Um, and I, and so I try to tell them like, I did this, I did that two years running before the third year, I finally hit it. I think the difference when I finally got there Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, I feel like is mindset. Like a lot of things fell into place. I finally understood how to make, make money. I finally understood how to sell my offers. I finally understood how to create something that I felt like was unique or stood out in the market. But beyond that, 2019 came up and I was like, this is the, the year I am not accepting anything less. I'm going for it. I, I set a standard of, I'm not doing any trades. I had already not done anything for free. Like I hadn't, I didn't do any portfolio building for years before that, but I really cut out trades. Um, I cut out anything that didn't make money. And I decided like six figures or bust. We're not doing anything less than that this year. And I think that was the thing that turned on it all because I put the decision and the onus of six figures outside of my self-worth. It was a decision I made, a, a standard that I was going to meet no matter what. And it took it Oh, it separated it from me being worthy of it to me just driving toward it all the, all the time. My assumption was I was, I'm worthy now we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. There was a huge shift that I hear like happened, but like, let's go back to the one that really stood out because I think you were also one of the people who helped me realize like, I don't need to be doing stuff for free. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes, like you, you definitely are a champion of it. And I think that obviously like to some people, it could be a turnoff and it's mm-hmm. like, those are the people who have some money mindsets that are hindering them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we women have a lot of them. And one of them is that we have to feel the need to do things for free or to do more, to give more, to have more time. And I think that's something that I still struggle with too. There's a, like, I'm still trying to find the balance of like offering massive value, but also like, like really just like protecting my time, you know, and, and making sure that like, I'm not you know, overrunning my cup to a point of burnout or to a point of resentment. So trading, let's talk about that. Trading, you're, you stopped, you know, doing trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
just tell me more about that because yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I just went on, went off on a tangent about it, but like, it's so needed to have these conversations, but women are still stuck on this, like, mm-hmm. like doing stuff for free. And when I heard that from you, I was like, yeah, you're right. No, I'm not doing something for free that you're going to be able to make money off of in the long run, just for photo credit. I mean, we're talking photo, like we're talking now photo stuff, (laughs) you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. come on now, like, you know, and I think it's like when you start protecting your time and you start seeing Mm -hmm. and understanding and doing the work to really like, to really believe in your value that you bring to the table, Mm -hmm. why would you give that for free? Exactly. And, and, and it, and it started with the time of it, exactly like you're talking about, because in the middle of all of that struggle, um, rebuilding post-divorce, I got to a point where I was like, I can't work for, I've got bills to pay. I don't have time to give away. I don't have, you know, there wasn't time to make work for free or for exposure because if it didn't pay, if it didn't pay my bills, I didn't, I couldn't fit it in my schedule. And And that became a a big priority because um, the part of the struggle was I was taking a lot of jobs that were looking back very underpaid. And I was just, I was running around doing a lot, but not making a ton of money. So like, I just ran out of time to do free stuff. And I just also lost, like, I just, I felt that ickiness of like, Ooh, like work for exposure. I don't think this is really an equal like partnership here. And so when I got to 2019, I had been, I would consider one to two trades a year in terms of like services, but I, it became very starkly clear, like photography services are so valuable and hardly anyone was willing to trade the actual value of that service. Um, and I just, at, at the end of 2018, I went no more of this attempts at trade. They're not working. They're not, you know, I think I've had maybe one very fruitful trade in my whole career and that's been eight years. Um, so yeah, I, I, I stopped doing portfolio building work and I did keep an eye on other photographers who were doing portfolio building building work. And what I saw again and again was, yeah, they do that portfolio building work, but then the people that they shot for free would never come back and actually pay. And yeah, I could go (laughs) on and on about that, but like our brains, our human brains subconsciously, like we have this thing that, that happens when we get something for free, we will do move heaven and earth to never pay for it again. <laughs> and, um, I, and I really think that's a big part of it. Like, it's not that, that those clients don't see the value in it, but they just subconsciously are like, no, I got this for free before I can't pay for this again. So I just, I put an end to all of it. I said, money-making ventures only it's time. This is the year. I love it. And, you know, something that really stands out is that, you know, you have this realization of being now a single woman where like you literally had to make it work. Like you really did not have any time to do things for free. Like you had to make money so that you could survive, but then you went from survive to thrive. And I love it. Yes. Because like surviving, there's another part of surviving where it's like, you're not charging your worth and, and like, and not even your worth. It's like, you're not charging enough to make a profit. And that's where I am in my business now is like, no, no, no. Like I'm just making money to pay my staff, to pay myself a little, and then to, to reinvest into the business. And then there's no profit left over. And so like, I don't think enough women are talking about this and like, you got to actually make 
profit. Like it's hard to do that in your first few years of business, no doubt. But Mm -hmm. if you don't try, if you don't try to take that action and you don't try to, to challenge yourself to like raise your price so that you can make some profit, I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about thousands of dollars of profit per client, but to make some profit because most small businesses are one, one left turn away from like having to shut their doors. Yes. And like, Yes. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, I think that um, there's a lot of bravery in your story and how like you, because of the situation you were in, like, yeah, you did have an advantage of being married, but only to a certain extent, like you made it happen regardless. And then you were left with like, man, now I really need to make it work. And I just have my income. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you taking those steps, like, to, to get to where you are now, like that had to have a lot of bravery, you know, and that was you. So like, there were some disadvantages on your side as well, but like at the end of the day, like you had to set a boundary of like, there's, I'm not taking, I'm not doing any more free, you know, work. And like I said, that inspired me so much because I don't do free work unless like, I'm like, Hey, it's for a great cause. And I want to give back my time. But if you're coming to me to work with me, and you want it for free, it ain't happening. I'll give you my prices. Okay, we're going to get off on this topic unless you have something else to say. <laughs> no, I love that. And, and it really was, I feel like so much of, of, a, of a part of it that maybe, yeah, that like is, it's hard to pinpoint in business, but it really is pivotal is the decision. Once you, and it's not just like, okay, I want this or I'm going to do this. No, it is a dedicated, this is what's happening. There are no other alternatives. And I, I've been at that kind of pivot point a few times, like, after the divorce, it was either go back to a nine to five that was honestly crushing my soul, um, or figure out how to run a business. That was a decision I had to make. And so once I decided, you know what, I'm going to get this business stuff in order. I'm going to figure it out. I just ran full force at it. Like you couldn't slow me down. And it, it took a really long time, um, to, to get there and to figure it out. But that was that. So that was like the first decision, decision I made. And the making six figures was the second time I went decision made no other options, but this. Yeah. And you know, what I hear so clearly is the certainty you had about your decision, about your vision. And I think that's why some people hit their revenue goals in their business. And some don't is that there's still that, that lack of certainty. There's still that uncertainty of like, can I really do this? Mm-hmm. And when you have that certainty and the belief that you make and the goal that you make, you're going to make those actions that back up that decision that you've made of I'm going to make six figures. I'm going to now make multiple six figures. I'm going to be a, a millionaire and my business is going to provide, you know, for my community, for myself. And so I think the biggest challenge that women have, and we all still have this, you know, even I have to fight through the, these things is, you know, the, the mindset about money, it is like money is not important to me. Hell yeah, it is important. To <laughs> yes, <you>. it is. <laughs> like exactly. You got bills to pay, just like mm-hmm. we noticed, you know, we we you told us with, you know, after the divorce, like you had bills to pay. Money was everything for you. Yeah. Money was important. Totally. You know, you grew up in a home where money probably wasn't a big obstacle. So mm-hmm. now you're in this position where it's like, 
I, this is not my lifestyle. Money is, is never a, a challenge or was not a challenge in my family potentially, you know? So why would I have that same, why would I have anything less? Right. And so, and then there's just the, like, am I worth it? Or like, who would pay for this? Or like, you know, just, there's just so many hindering mindsets on women because of how society has conditioned us. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, like women have only been able, have only had almost about 50 years of actual rights Mm -hmm. and that's not even rights within like credit, right. And, and finance and, and lending, Mm-hmm. Like there, we're still having to jump hoops through that because there's like, I was turned down for credit recently, you know, like a, for a, a business credit card, like what? Like I have good credit, like That's wild. Exactly. So a lot of my business is still using my personal credit, mm-hmm. you know, that I've built up, but the only way that I would have actually built that up is through, um, or the only way that I built it up is through my mom opening up a credit card for me in college, you know? Yeah. Like those, those opportunities I would have never had if I didn't have someone in my life who, who actually taught me about finances, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just think that like, we have, we have to get beyond or work on our money mindset there's mm-hmm. so many women becoming entrepreneurs right now. We're outpacing men who are, who are becoming entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And if we want to overcome the statistics of 50% of businesses fail after what, five years, if we want to overcome that, we have to overcome our money mindset. We have to stop working for free. We have to stop undercharging, you know? And so just those things alone are, are what's going to be able to give people that certainty, like what you had, like what I had, you know, and what I have and still having to overcome them on a daily basis. Because, you know, when you are moving into a different space, it can, you can still have that like limiting belief, right. About money. Oh, totally. And something wild that I found was, uh, um, that even, so I, I did a lot of money mindset work. And what I was surprised to discover is that um, being open to receiving money is not the same as being open to keeping your money, right? Because that's the other harsh lesson I learned when I first started finally having a successful business and making money is that it would, it would be, it would come in and it would go right back out because I wasn't good at managing it. So that was a whole nother layer. And I think my biggest money mindset like issue was. I kept bumping up against the the limiting belief of like, I'm bad with money. And though I had a history of not being great with it, I certainly needed to shift into the idea that I could learn how to be much better, much more responsible, and that I actually would be able to hang on to money. And that is something that I really like shifted into last year. Last year was a good year. And um, I actually hung on to the money that I made, which I was really proud of. And that was a big mindset shift for me. Absolutely. I love it. And, and I love that you brought that up because yes, like as women, we also are conditioned that like, we're not good at money, you know, like that's why boys were better at math and girls failed. Like, don't even get me started on my math <laughs> obstacles. Like, they were bad. I almost, I almost got kicked out of college because yes, like I could not pass my math class. I know it was terrible, yeah. <laughs> but I made it work and it happens. Okay. Um, no, but, I totally get it. Dude, college level math is intense. <laughs> I get girl, it. It's just like prep. 
college. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you know, we're just, we're going to skip on that conversation. Because <laughs> here's the thing. I passed the math class. I graduated college. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, <laughs> Hey, you did it. And that's what I did, it. I did it. I did it. Absolutely. But it's the limiting beliefs that we put on ourselves, you know, and money is that huge obstacle that is keeping a lot of women from hitting the six figure mark. And I know something that I shared with you is that 88% of women entrepreneurs make zero to $99,000 in their business. Mm-hmm. That is the sad reality. And, mm-hmm. you know, the median livable wage is what, like, I think it's like, it's between 50 and 65,000 mm-hmm. for the, the national like wage, like average wage mm-hmm. uh, or salary income. And so just thinking about it, like a six figure business even if you hit a hundred thousand dollars in one year, that does not mean you're paying yourself a $50,000 salary. Exactly. exactly. Like you're not able to live on the median level mm-hmm. in your six figure business. Mm-hmm. Potentially. Exactly. So you like women have to step up and realize that they are good at money, that mm-hmm. they are worth having lots of money. Mm-hmm. So that they can hit six figures. And that's why we're here today is to like help, help women see that and to give them that the advice and just, again, like have this conversation that can get them to question their beliefs and their mindset and start putting them into action. So I want to move into action with you because- you know, you empower your clients through embracing their creativity and making more money as a creative and, you know, without having to buy into hustle culture. So can you share more on this? You know, like start, you, you have three specific steps, right. That they could take, but maybe let's just back up a little bit. Like, and we've kind of talked about this already, but just share more about like your work in helping creatives learn, like, be able to really understand and see and take action that they can actually earn more as a creative. Totally. I really want to bust the myth of the starving artist because I think that has done us such a disservice that that myth has told us that we need to be noble in our art. And the only art worth making is art that we do for free just because we love it. And I don't believe any of that. Um, I really feel like we all have so much value in our creativity because each of us was put here to make something. And that's different for everybody. And we're all inspired to do that in different ways. And all of those ways are valid. And I do think that once we can honor that value, honor that creativity, the whole game changes. Um, Because, yeah, exactly. The the myth of the starving artist, I think, has done us a huge disservice. So I'm really big on, you know, I'm I call my creative agency a creative for creatives because there's so much that like kind of weighs down the creative process. It's not just being a creative, but learning how to build a business around that. Okay, then I have to learn how to sell. And then first I have to work on mindset. So I actually feel like I can sell. And all of that is like a huge, huge task. So um, a lot of what I've been wanting to do is just bust the idea that we have to have some kind of like noble, um, free work to really be worth anything as artists. I think both being a pay, being paid for what we do and doing what we love can be the same thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And we are very unique because we're both brand photographers and photography has such a huge stigma or has, or has at least now have been, has been like, you know, kind of just amassed with this like stigma of, you know, especially with the digital world is that photography is no longer a sought after skill because everyone can take a photo with their phone, which yeah, they can, but is that photo going to be great? Uh, probably not. Is it <laughs> yeah, exactly. going to be great when you put that quality on your website or on your sales pages? Probably not. Hard, 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 not. Exactly. But you know, when, when looking at the statistics of, of, you know, photographers and what's the average, you know, income for a photographer, it is like the rep, I think the revenue, it might be the income. It's like 24,000. Like that's the average. Wow. Only a small percentage. It's about 10 or less than 10% of photographers actually make $70,000 or more in their business. Wow. Like we mind it. Yes. And so like, you know, we are like, this call is two women photographers who one are, you know, still at the, um, you know, end of the like stick when it comes to opportunities as women in the industry, because it is still very male dominated. Most men still make the most money in photography. And so, but you're looking at like, you're like, you're listening to a conversation happening with two women who are in the top 10 percentile, you know, and and making uh, six figures in photography. So like, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, look, like we're not just like tooting our own horn or telling you a bunch of BS. Like we are literally helping so many women right now. And just having this conversation raise their game because they, they need it. They can make whatever income they want to make, you know, and it starts with surrounding yourself and putting yourself in proximity with people like us. Right. (laughs) It it does though, (laughs) you know, and shifting your mindset and making investments in yourself and, you know, again, creative women, yeah, there is that stigma. And so I love that you're doing such an amazing job and helping break those stigmas for, for women, for creatives who are in industries where they're, you know, not, they're taken for granted. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you're changing the game and it really is like all about the mindset too. So I love it. it So tell us about the three actionable steps creatives who want to earn more, Mm -hmm. um, can take to grow their six figures. Absolutely. So I, so I have kind of a three-step process and what I, what I find that's interesting is I always like to observe how people move through it, where they kind of hit the wall with it, have challenges with it, because at every step of the way, like all of these steps are very learnable and doable, and it doesn't even have to take a lot of time to learn them. A lot of our ability to to do them is really wrapped up in our mindset, exactly like what you're talking about. So step one, so step one, two, and three, first of all, you have to figure out what your special sauce is. And that is, that isn't even me. That's just kind of like what 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 we have to do as businesses, no matter what business you are, you have to figure out how you are unique in your market and how you're going to stand out. If you're just doing what everybody else is doing, then you don't have a business or a product that's going to sell very well in the market because things that really determine what would do well, uh, 
from a broader perspective is, are you first, are you better, are you different? Obviously, we already have a ton of photographers in the market. Um, and it's hard to always be a better photographer than other photographers, because no matter what you're doing, there's always someone better, right? So, so <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And what's exactly like you were talking about earlier, layer on top of that, the fact that with cameras everywhere these days, people really have a, like subconsciously absorbed the idea that, oh, I could be a photographer. I can do it on my phone. I can do it anywhere. So, so that's also another layer that's there. So we do really have to hone in on what makes you special or unique as an artist. What makes you stand out? What makes your work stand out? And that takes a certain kind of like willingness to, um, to just kind of stand up for yourself. What I notice is um, people feel like, oh, I want to stand out. But then when they look at what that actually takes to stand out in the market, it, they, it, it's really scary um, because you have to be doing something different. You have to be willing to say, I stand out like this. And showing that kind of confidence is going to make you worry. It's going to bring up imposter syndrome. And um, doing something different that other people aren't doing, you're going to sit there first and go like, what if everybody hates it? What if this is the wrong thing to do? What if I've done something crappy and nobody tells me like, <laughs> there's a lot of things that come up. So standing out sounds really fun and great until you actually have to do it. And you realize like, there's a lot of inner work that needs to happen. Um, maybe there's a lot of outer work that needs to happen. I assisted on photo shoots for a long, long time. I did, I was a studio manager, for somebody else. Um, I did a lot of behind the scenes work on my own craft, but also on my own inner world of being able to stand up and say like, Hey, I am a brand photographer for women who are a creative force. And I do that really well. Come, come work with me. Um, that part's really hard. And so the special sauce part is step one, really honing in on what makes you unique in your market, what makes you stand out in your market, and then actually being able to say that out loud, which is way more terrifying than it seems. <laughs> yes, it is though. It is because you're, you're putting your mark into the world of like, this is who I am. This is what I offer. Take it or leave it. And some people don't like the leave it part, but that's the beauty of sales is that it comes with rejection. So you've got to know that you are not for everyone, but the clients who are for you are your ideal clients and they always sign up. That's my model. It's like my <laughs> ideal client always signs up and I'm okay with hearing no. Exactly. And that's funny. I always, I always tell people in my programs that like, you should not be booking 100% of the people you get on a sales call with. If you're booking 100%, first of all, raise your prices. But what we, we really don't want 100% of everybody that comes through the door. That doesn't, that doesn't get you the clients who are ideal. It gets you a lot of misaligned clients to aim for something like that. So exactly. There's that. Um, step two is that special sauce that you have. Now you got to take it. You've got to wrap it around an offer. Um, you've got to figure out how to actually bring it to life in the market as something that is, that gets results, that is actionable, that is desirable. Um, and so you've got to make something that people want to buy and it should be wrapped in your special sauce. That is step two. So your special sauce is like, like all over these, <laughs> these steps, right? So a lot of it is really using that special sauce as leverage. Um, so that is uh, your offer, your craveable offer is step two of that. I love it. I love it. And then you have step three. Tell me about, tell me more about that. Like how else can they, how else can creatives move into that six figure, you know, business with this last step? 
Yay. Okay. So step three is my favorite. <laughs> my favorite <laughs> so step three is my favorite. Step three is you have to learn how to sell it. It's not a, so this is what we, what we really want as creatives and as artists, we really want to be able to put our work out there and be like, Hey, do you guys want to want to buy this from me? But unfortunately, that's actually not how decisions are made in the market. Buyers aren't just looking at work and going, that's good work. I want to buy that. Um, and it's kind of a bubble burst to realize that making good work alone is not the thing that sells that work. Um, and I think that's a hard thing to kind of like, um, really kind of like into it because um, I don't know if into it's the right well, you're word. an artist potentially, like you're an artist as a creative. And so you're very passionate about your art. Right. And you want people to like recognize that, connect with it immediately like that. But that's not necessarily how people are making buying decisions. And so it's not actually business owners. Yes, exactly. So it's way more than just putting your work out into the world. You have to learn how to bring it into the world in a way where people understand the value of it, understand the value as it relates directly to them, how it can benefit them, how it can make their life better, or how it can solve a problem that they have. And I think a lot of people hesitate on sales because they feel like gross about it. They're like, I don't like bro marketing. I I, I don't want to learn how to sell. I shouldn't have to sell. My work speaks for itself. And that is all well and good, but it is very rare that that actually is drives, drives the business forward. So we do have to learn how to sell our services. I love it. I love it. And we could talk about this all day because I think, you know, the thing that makes you, like you said, the thing that makes you special is that you have this, you have the creativity, you have a, you know, a, a degree and experience in copywriting, right. And writing and like one, your copywriting is like the bomb. Okay. And that is, and that is how, how we sell, we sell within our copy. You know, when someone first lands on our page, it's like, it is, does your copy resonate with their problem so much? And does it lead them to understand and to see the value and the benefits that, Hey, this person could actually help solve my problem. This person could actually give me the results that I'm looking for. And I want to point out, you know, the uh, selling to business owners. And, you know, if you're creative and you're selling to business owners, you definitely have to learn how to sell because you've got to understand what makes this business owner tick. How does your service come into play in helping this business owner's, you know, life easier? Because we know as very busy women entrepreneurs that time is such a huge asset to us too, not just money. And that we have limited time. And so if you could help us save time, make money, make our life easier, and you can explain that in a way that's easy for me to understand and see and digest, right? Digest in my mind with your copywriting, with your sales call, I'm in. I don't care how much it is, I'm in. But you also need to have structure. You need to have follow-up right? An organization. And you need to make it easy for me. Like if it ain't easy for me to pay you, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to pay you because Mm -hmm. I don't do this whole, not digital, digital pay you through Zelle. No, no, no. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so many people think that sales is just like this, 
can you like, so when do you want to buy for me? Can like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so um, today's the sign up. Like, would you like to sign up now? And it's so much more than that. And it's so much easier than that. It's like, how do you make your systems work together to make it easy for people to say yes? Oh, totally. This is something that I always like to tell people is like, this isn't my phrase, but the general, that kind of old phrase of a confused mind never buys. And it's so true. If you give people one, one thing to trip over, if they have to make an extra click on a button, if they have to ask you for like how, if they have to ask you, how do I pay They're going to opt out of your process. It's that quick. And so as easy and as smooth as we can make the path to saying yes is the optimal way to do it. Like, do not let people trip over an extra click on an extra button or trying to like hunt down your email address. I see that mistake all the time. Like, oh my gosh, you guys put your email addresses on your website. Um, and the other thing that I like to tell people about sales is I have like a, an analogy that I use. It's not mine. I think a friend of mine told it to me, but it was just so perfect. When I think of sales, I think of it like a, a sailboat right? We're not selling the fabric on the sails. We're not selling the finish on the wood or the type of screws that all hold the boat together. Those are the features and nobody really cares about those. What you're selling are the benefits. You're selling a Friday evening like cruise on the ocean with the wind in your hair, hanging out with your loved ones, having a glass of wine and like just smelling the sea air. That's what you're selling. Focus on the benefits of like what you can do people do for people, how you can change their lives. Instead of what I see a lot of people doing is focusing on the features. I, my photo package has so many hours of photography and editing and X, Y, Z. Nobody buys based on that. They buy based on how can you change their life? How can you improve their life, fix problems, you know, things like that. Yeah. They want a transformation. Mm-hmm. You know? exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. They want results, especially if they're a business owner, <laughs> <laughs> they want to save time or make money. Like one of those. And maybe your offer does both. I would, I would hope that it does both in certain ways and you sell to what is really important to them. Okay. Hey, look, like I know that you need more time in your business. And so, hey, you're going to also save time by um, this specific, you know, benefit that you get in working with us. And in, and, and in addition to, you're also going to make more money doing it. So like, how amazing does that sound? Like, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> so the three things I hear to just repeat back, you know, these action steps that you can take to grow, to grow to six figures as a creative woman entrepreneur, heck, as any entrepreneur, is one, uncover your special sauce. Like if you're a realtor, you can uncover your special sauce. Like you have mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm, so Two, true. Find your offer. And three, learn how to sell. And when you sell from a place of passion, when you're so passionate about what you do that when someone doesn't sign up, you feel bad for them because you know how amazing the transformation can be for them. And Mm -hmm. that's really the, the, the beauty of sales is that you're so passionate about what you do and you know that it works, but it it only works for the right person. And so, you know, like you're not mad about it if they say no, you know, like that's the beauty of sales. And, um, so those are the three actual steps. Um, anything else that you'd like to add Paige? You know, I really think that confidence plays a huge part in it. And 
And I say this knowing full well that like I have gotten on sales calls for, and for high ticket offers too, especially for high ticket offers, I would say I've gotten on sales calls where I didn't feel confident in that day where maybe I would, I like, I've been on sales calls where I was at a moment where I was like, this needs, this needs to book. Um, and I felt very like nervous, like uh, it would, you know, I knew what I was going to say, but what if it didn't work all of that going on in my mind. But when I show up on the call, I'm the most confident person you've ever heard. Um, because if you display confidence in what you're offering, then the person on the other end receives that confidence and it gives it back to you and that they're confident that you can deliver on what you're saying you can. So I really feel like uh, that confidence aspect, like I've seen a ton of creatives show up and have trouble selling, not because they, they like, they have fantastic offers. They are fantastic artists. They deliver in a huge way, but they have trouble selling because they're not confident in in the, when they get on the sales call or in places where it's really crucial. So I feel like that confidence piece is something that needs to be in place that can be really difficult. Yeah. It's almost like letting go of the outcome and just being in the moment. Mm -hmm. And, and where I really succeed on my sales sales calls is honestly like, Hey, like I'm here to help. And like, I give value on my sales calls. Like, it's not all about like, let me ask you these lists of questions, but it's like, Hey, have you thought about this? Or like, you know, or, Oh, I love this about you or tell me more. Like, you know, it's really getting to know the person and building that rapport and the connection. And I think that's why women are, I don't think, I know that's why women are so that they could be so great at sales is because of the connection, the collaboration, right? So oh, yeah, God. you wanted to say something? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like so excited when about what you're talking about because I think this part's really a really big deal. Women yeah. are so intuitive and we're so good at understanding, you know, where we're so good at meeting people where they're at. And I really think a sales call is a really interesting moment because it can be something that's not just um uh that 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 what I see a sales call do is really address both the big dreams that people have and the challenges that they're having. And when you look at it as a conversation about those things, you know, if you've ever just sat down with next to someone at a party and like talked about like they tell you about a big dream that they have or they tell you about challenges they're having, it's even though you're not selling them something, it's sort of the same thing. Like you really are creating a space where they can share with you what they're going for, what their hopes are, what their dreams are, what's holding them back. If you can make that space and listen to your intuition about what that conversation and that person needs, not needs to hear, but just needs, like needs, how do they need support right now? Yeah. Um, how can I guide them in this moment? Um, that is where a lot of like transformation can start to happen. So I really think there's a lot of magic to be had too in, in sales calls. Oh, absolutely. And knowing when it's just not right for someone, or maybe it's not the right time for someone. Like, I think people think that when you get on a sales call, you have to like close it. You have to like get the business. You have to like get the person to sign up. And I think that that's couldn't be further from the truth when you really are coming from an intention of care. One is knowing and understanding that this is the right thing for this person right now. And then there's also the like, this is not right for you now 
but let's connect and follow up when it might be the right time. Or this is just not right because you're not the right fit. And how do I tell you nicely that you're not the right fit? And maybe it's just, I'm not going to ask you like, Hey, like, do you want to work with me? It might be like, Hey, well, what other options are you, you looking at? You know, (laughs) You, that's so, that's such a good point is because I have in the last couple of months directly told a few people I've been on sales calls with, like, you know, I've said this photo package is not the right package for you at this time. Um, here's what I recommend that you do go work with a brand strategist and then come back to me. And I've definitely said that I've recently, you know, told somebody that like you, you don't actually need my education right now. You've already got what you need and you just need to put it out in the world. I've so exactly like not everybody is people that we don't have to be closing people all of the time if they're not at the right place for our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, you don't want someone to sign up and then like, they just, you know, don't actually take the action. They don't put forth the, for the work. Right. Or, you know, they ended up being someone who it's like, Hey, I regret working with this person. And so I think when you come to a space where you feel confident in sales, you feel confident in yourself, you feel confident in your business, you have, you're on the right track with the, your mindset about money. And, you know, I think when that all comes together and aligns for you, you're going to have a successful business. You're going to have a six figure, a multiple six figure, a seven figure business. When you have all of those things, you know, when you work on all of those things and they come together, you put them together. So when you get on that sales call, you know, you're not worried about, am I going to eat tomorrow? Or like, am I going to be able to survive? Is my business going to thrive? How am I going to pay my employees? When you have an abundant mindset and you believe that money is everywhere and that it flows through you and to you, there's that opportunity for you. It's this perfect, this perfect opportunity for you to be so, to have so much value, to give so much value in your sales calls. And that you are going to be okay with hearing no or saying no, you know? Yeah. And that's what, it's this. a hard place to get to, right? Like the release yeah. of expectations is so important and so valuable. It also just like lowers your blood pressure over time to be able to like, let go of the, like the, the need for it or the, the expectation of it. Um, yeah. That can be such a hard place to get to, but it's so it's so, um, so much more peaceful in the inner, in our inner worlds when, when we can just let go of those expectations. Absolutely. And you're, you're still going to have those thoughts. Those fears are always going to still come up, but it's like investing in your personal development so that you can, when those thoughts do come up, you know, how to challenge them. You know, how to pre-frame those thoughts, you know, how to work through them. You know, how to, you, you have the habit to work through them. Right. And so I want to ask you before we go, because we're coming up on the end of our time together. I know it's been a great conversation. I feel like we covered a lot more than what we said we would cover today. And I think that this is going to be such a great conversation for someone to hear, even if it just impacts one person, like we've done our job here, but before we go, I want to get into some fun stuff. So like (laughs) to have the audience get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So one, what are you reading? And then what new hobby are you taking up or have taken up? 
Okay. So here's a hobby that I am like dying to take up and I haven't figured out the logistics of it yet, but I'm dying to learn woodworking. I think that would be the biggest hobby. And I just want to be able to make something like uh, something small, like a box, but also I kind of want to be able to like make a chair one day. Like, I think that would be really fun. I love it. Go for the chair from the first go, Paige. Go for the chair. (laughs) Get a box. I love it. I know you, Paige. You can make the damn chair now, okay? <laughs> I love it. One day you'll come in and you'll see this chair that's like like completely asymmetrical and you'll be like, great, Paige probably made that one. <laughs> it's going to be worth millions. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'll just call it a new style. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Tell me, what are you reading right now? Because I know um, you, you, you have, you read... Not just, you know, um, business, you know, books. I know you read a lot of other things too. So tell us what you're reading right now. Totally. So I, oh my gosh. So I think that, um, book recommendations are my love language. Um, so I have a lot of fun with that. I'm just now finishing the gifts of imperfection because the idea of showing up imperfectly has popped up as a new theme for me lately. And the more truly, the more I'm willing to show up in a way that's not perfect, that's not polished, the more people kind of resonate with that. So, um, that's when I've been finishing. And then the one I'm about to start is Admissions um, by Kendra James, a memoir of surviving board, boarding school. So I think that's going to be a really good one. Wait, and then did you ever go to boarding school or like, I didn't. Um, I, but I'm, I'm just really, I'm really curious to, to read her experience and, to, um, uh, to take, to, it's gotten such good reviews and everybody's been really excited about it. So I'm really excited to dive into it. And then, um, I just finished a while ago. One of my favorite books, a book of essays is trick mirror by Gia Tolentino. Um, it's really dense, but really good. <laughs> All right. What is it about trick mirror? Like that sounds interesting. <laughs> Right. So the, the subtitle on it is reflections on self delusion, but it's a a lot of it is how our digital life is a weird trick mirror reflection of our real life and how those two things can kind of like fold into each other and then fold out of each other and really do a lot, kind of like do a number on our brains and our lives. So that was a really, it's really good. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot though. So I, I, th- I, I took my time with it. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Well, you're going to have to send me these book recommendations because I did not write these down. I'm like <laughs> trying to like grab my pins, but not trying to be distracting because we are on video here. So like, it's been really hard for me to not like be distracted. <laughs> um, but okay. Before we go, tell us how, uh, well, how can people work with you? Where can they find you? And what is uh, an opportunity to work with you like right now? What does that look like? Thank you. Um, People can find me at Pedre Creative on Instagram. And um, right now people can work with me either one-on-one in a uh, long-term coaching package, or they can join the mastermind. I have an ongoing mastermind program that I am, I am obsessed with. I just think everybody in the program is so stellar and they're such rock stars. And I just want to brag on on them all the time because they're always doing amazing things. One of the masterminders is photographing a Paris fashion week and another one is like everybody's traveling this week. Anyway, I could, I could brag on the masterminders all day long. (laughs) Um, but those are, those are a couple of ways to, to work with me right now. I love it. Amazing. And we're also going to put, um, pages 
information in the show notes. So feel free to follow her and reach out to her. And thank you so much, Paige, for being on the Six Figure Woman Entrepreneur Podcast and sharing all of your knowledge and advice and for this candid conversation. And so if you love this episode and if it inspired you or related to you in any way, would you please be so kind to share it with a friend and leave a five-star review? So thank you for listening to the Six Figure Woman Entrepreneur Podcast. See you next time.